that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett led an elite group of scientists into the desert to develop a top-secret project known as Quantum Leap. Pressured to prove his theories or lose funding, Dr. Beckett prematurely stepped into the project accelerator and vanished. In the blink of a cosmic clock, I went from quantum physicist to Air Force test pilot, which could have been fun if I knew how to fly. Fortunately, I had help. An observer from the project named Al. Unfortunately, Al's a hologram, so all he can lend is moral support. Anyway, here I am, bouncing around in time, putting things right that once went wrong. A sort of time-traveling Lone Ranger with Al as my tanto. And I don't even need a mask. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 10, Disco Inferno. This is worse than anything imaginable. What are you talking about, Sam? You're on the set of a low-budget disaster movie, Disco Inferno. Uh, You're in uh, Burbank, California, April 1st, 1976. In the next two days, Chris is going to die. He's your little brother. He dies? How? I don't know. You just got to play big brother uh, for a couple of days. I could have done it. Have my card right now. Is that what you want? Your stuntman's card? What do you think I've been working for all this time? I thought it was your music. Music? You've been playing guitar. Look, you want to make Dad proud? Then do what you do best. It'll take a lot more courage than jumping off buildings. Yeah, now I know how time felt. I always thought he was putting me down, you know, trying to tell me what to do, but by the time I figured out he was just looking out for me, it was too late because he... Tom's dead, isn't he? Come on, Al. Yeah. He was killed in Vietnam. Hello, and welcome back to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Albie. And I'm Heather. This time we are talking about the Quantum Leap episode, Disco Inferno. It has the 70s and disco and stuntmen and fire and all kinds of stuff. What did you think of Disco Inferno, Heather? It was a weird glimpse into the 70s, I guess. I, I was shocked when it opened and it was a disco dance bar. I was like, really? Like, I didn't actually think those existed, but I guess, but it was a movie. Sam getting shot in the beginning was a little shock the first time I saw it. You know, like thinking, oh my gosh, he's going to have to, someone's going to have to save him and because he can't die. It'll be a really short show. If you didn't know he was a stuntman in this episode, you would think this is a weird way to start an episode. He gets shot. Right. And Sam totally thinks he gets shot too. But this episode has its ups and downs. It's nice that Sam sticks up for Chris you know, he and in the previous episodes has stuck up for his sister in another one with the domestic violence, which, you know, is similar to his sister. So he had flashbacks of his brother this episode, which was kind of sad, but it, it was a nice, different episode. I mean, it, it wasn't a major topic. It wasn't, you know, really controversial or anything, but it was it was OK. 
One of the things I liked about this episode is it's the first time I saw it. That's so weird. I must have missed it on the original run, and I never saw it in syndication. So I was like, what is this show? Like, I know of it, but I don't think I've seen it. And then like 10 minutes in, I'm like, nope, haven't seen it. This is awesome. I don't know what's going to happen. That is pretty cool that you got a new episode of Quantum Leap. It can happen. <laughs> well, did you like this one, though? I mean, um, it wasn't my favorite. It wasn't horrible, but I think if I saw it in the original run... Back then, I think I might have been into the Fall Guys, you know, stuntman and stuff, so I might have liked it more. But I didn't like that part of it as much as I liked finding out more about Sam and his brother. Yeah, and I liked the part with Chris and the music. He was an awesome singer and guitar player. That song gets stuck in your head, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, I caught you singing it earlier. (laughs) Yeah, but it plays along with Quantum Leap too. the song, Out of Time. Out of time. I got you to sing it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, uh, before we go too far into this episode, in case anyone out there hasn't seen it, can you do the episode recap? Sure. This is Season 2, Episode 2, Disco Inferno. Original broadcast date, September 27th, 1989. Written by Paul Brown. Directed by Gilbert Shilton. Out of time. Sam leaps in while on the dance floor of a disco. A hitman enters the club and pulls out a gun, shooting Sam in the chest. Sam is flung backwards through a glass wall and lands on a safety pad. At that moment, a voice yells, Cut! And Sam realizes that he was not shot, but rather flung backward via cables attached to his body. His name is Chad Stone, a stuntman working on the film set of a low-budget movie called Disco Inferno. Along with his counterpart's younger brother, Chris, and father, the stunt coordinator, Ray Stone. Ray is annoyed that the safety pad was moved, endangering his son's life, and blames Chris for the failure. Rick, the director, tells them to move along so he can film the next scene, but Ray is angered by Rick's indifference to safety procedures and announces his resignation, bringing his two boys with him. Rick tells Chris that the fire stunt on the film in two days is his big opportunity and tries to get him to stay, but Chris defers to his father's judgment and leaves. While walking around the set, Sam meets Tracy Devine, a music producer handling the film's soundtrack. Tracy gives him her business card, along with a mood ring, which reveals Sam to be in a distressed state. Chris, meanwhile, meets a young, attractive college girl named Shannon. Though Chris tells her most girls normally go for his older brother, Shannon says she isn't like most girls and instead holds a clear interest in Chris. Sam finds Al having fun on the dance floor and the two talk about his mission. Sam is mortified to have leaped into the 70s, a decade he finds intolerable. While Al admits that the 70s were among the best years of his life, Sam wants to accomplish his mission as soon as possible so he can leap. Al tells him that Ziggy's computer systems have crashed, however. He has one bit of data. Chris will die sometime in the next two days, though the cause, time, and place of his death are unknown. While Sam is contemplating the notion of playing the role of big brother to Chris, he suddenly remembers that he too has a big brother, whose name is Tom. But other than the name, Sam cannot remember anything else about him. He asks Al for information, but Al reminds Sam that it's against the rules for him to give Sam personal data concerning his own life. As Sam, Chris, and Ray are leaving the set, Chris is in a bad mood. His father's decision to quit the film means he is denied the opportunity to perform the upcoming fire stunt on the movie and thus earn his stuntman's card. Ray suggests Chris take Sam's upcoming movie stunt on the film Earthquake, scheduled for the following day. 
However, Sam, aware of Chris's impending fate, says no. Chris is angered with Sam and refuses to speak with him. Sam is reminded that he too would get mad when he felt his older brother Tom was bossing him around and realizes that it's simply one of the responsibilities of being a big brother. Sam overhears Chris playing guitar in his room and realizes he has a talent in music. Remembering how Tom convinced him to go to MIT to pursue his talent in physics, Sam tells Chris that he should follow his own talents. Shannon shows up to their home to see Chris. Chris asks Sam not to hit on her, as is Chad's normal habit, and Sam agrees. The three are watching Saturday Night Live, and during one sketch, Chevy Chase imitates President Ford and his penchant for clumsiness. Shannon says that if Ford falls over again, as he has before, he will lose the presidency. Sam talks to her about politics and the upcoming presidential election, and Chris becomes jealous by the way he and Shannon are bonding. Sam spots Al on the balcony and leaves Chris and Shannon alone. Al senses that Sam has a fondness for Chris. Sam tells Al that Chris reminds him of himself and his own relationship to Tom. Al says he still does not have any data about Chris's death. The next day, Sam is on the set of the movie Earthquake, about to perform a stunt in which he must fall several stories from a building. Sam is terrified and reluctant to go ahead with the stunt. One of the female stunt performers arrives just as the scene commences and nudges Sam over the edge while she jumps. Sam manages to cling to a scaffolding while the other actors on the movie pretend to reach for him. Sam loses his grip and falls several stories onto a large safety mat. Chris is jealous and angry that Sam got to perform the stunt and not him. Sam tells him that he should pursue his talent in music instead. He has contacted Tracy Devine, who has gotten Chris a chance to play in front of a large crowd at a downtown country music club. Chris plays guitar and sings before the crowd, with Sam and Shannon watching on. Ray, however, believes Chris is wasting his time pursuing music and goes to the bar to get drunk. After Chris departs from the stage and goes to the bar to seek his father's approval, the two end up arguing and Chris punches his father in the face. Upset and determined to win his father's approval, Chris contacts Rick and tells him he is available to perform the fire stunt the following day. Back home, Sam admits to Al that he is struggling in his task of being Chris's big brother. He says that he never appreciated Tom's effort to look out for him until it was too late. Suddenly, Sam has a haunted feeling and remembers that Tom is dead. Al nods and tells him Tom died in Vietnam. The next day, Chris and Shannon arrive on the Disco Inferno movie set. Shannon is concerned and tells Chris he should wait for his father and brother to check out the stunt first. Chris responds that it's what the both of them would want him to do. Meanwhile, Sam is worried as Chris hasn't returned home since his fight with their father. Sam forces Ray to admit that Chris has talent in music. Ray concedes but says that he doesn't believe Chris should waste his life away by pursuing it as a career. Sam contests that Chris's life will be ruined if he is forced to become a stuntman. Ray realizes that the only reason he became a stuntman was to prove to his father that he could do it. Sam realizes that Chris may similarly seek to prove himself by performing in the fire stunt and the two race off to stop him. Rick continues to disobey safety precautions and tells the crew they aren't going to do a rehearsal. He tells Chris that the stunt requires him to jump over a balcony while a pot behind him explodes. However, after yelling action, the explosion becomes an inferno and engulfs the entire balcony, including Chris. Sam and Ray arrive on the set, and Sam sets out in search of Chris in the burning rubble. Al helps guide Sam through the thick flames to find Chris, who is unconscious and pinned underneath some wood. Sam frees him and rescues him to safety. Chris regains consciousness and tells his father that because of the stunt, he has now earned his stuntman's card. 
As Chris is taken off by an ambulance, Ray confronts Rick and punches him in the face for incompetence, while Tracy comforts Sam, noting that his mood ring now indicates he is in a good mood. Back at their home several days later, Chris is recuperating with a cast on his leg and watching television with Shannon and Ray. Sam talks to Al briefly in the kitchen, revealing that at times he feels a little homesick and wishes he could leave home and return to his own life. To soften some of his homesickness, Al produces a photograph of Tom and Sam together. Sam thanks Al for sharing it with him and goes back to join the others to watch television. Sam and Ray begin to discuss Chris's future, with Ray saying that Chris will come and work with them as a stuntman now that he has his card. While Sam suggests that Chris's future lies with his music, Ray incredulously asks if Sam knows the future. Al tells Sam that President Ford is about to trip down a flight of stairs on live television. Sam announces that if Ford trips down the stairs, then it proves he knows the future and that Ray should get behind encouraging Chris in music. Ray agrees. Right on cue, Ford trips and Sam gives Chris the thumbs up before leaping. And that was from the Quantum Leap Wikia. Thank you very much. My name's Albie and I'm a Gemini. (laughs) Did you ever have a mood ring? No. I totally did. What's your sign, baby? My sign? I'm a Capricorn. That's bull. (laughs) The 70s were in full effect for this episode. Yeah, I was not alive during the 70s, but you were. Barely. Barely, yeah. I'm sure you don't remember them. I don't know if I achieved self-awareness in the 70s but I was physically alive. I've seen pictures of you in bell bottoms as a child, though. And not too long ago, probably. (laughs) Hey, the styles recycle. We're now currently in the 80s part B. So next is 90s. I guess, which is weird because I was like alive and aware in the 90s, so it would be weird to wear the same clothes again. (laughs) When the 70s came back for a little while, I was like, no, 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 no. Don't you remember? No. That's what I'm going through right now with the 80s. <laughs> oh, that's worse. That's worse. I'm, I... No, no, no. Don't you remember how bad skinny jeans looked? I guess not. <laughs> I love the clothes in this episode, with the exception of the shirt that Sam was wearing at the end that was like a denim color with flowers and bees embroidered on it. Not my favorite. I think that that is a woman's shirt tailored to be a man's shirt. I'm not really sure what happened there because it. Uh, no, it's just no. I would wear a lot of things, but I wouldn't wear that. Well, like, I know that there was lots of brightly colored outfits and, you know, crazy clothes in the 70s. But the flowery denim shirt, like, I just couldn't. There was no way that that was a masculine shirt. Um, Other than that, I like the fashion. I loved what Al was wearing, the polyester suit. He was so proud of it, too. It looked cool. Like, I, I would totally wear that. Did it remind you of Life on Mars? A little bit, yeah. I think that's where I got into the 70s fashion life on Mars. But I would totally wear a polyester suit. I don't know why they went out of style. I would love to wear suits, but currently suits are made out of materials that say dry clean only. And my opinion of dry cleaning is it doesn't clean it really. They just spray some Febreze on it or something. Kind of disgusting. Especially we're in the southern part of the United States and it's hot all the time, so you would sweat. So if you can't wash it like polyester suit, you could just throw in a washer and dryer and wear it out. Yeah, I know nothing about dry cleaning. I... If it's dry clean, I don't buy it. Yeah, they spray chemicals on it. The way I do it is I run everything through the washing machine and dryer, and if it survives, then I wear it. If it shreds, I know I shouldn't have bought it. Okay, so Sam leaps into uh, a stuntman attached to a uh, ratchet and a harness and all that stuff, and he's walking around a disco, and he doesn't realize he's attached to a long cable. Well, I would think leaping would be very disorienting. 
like when you first leap in, you're like, you're not sure what's going on, where you are, when you are, who you are. So I could see that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and he's not there very long before he gets shot. And he's like, oh, my God, I've been hit. (laughs) And just because he didn't mention it doesn't mean he didn't realize he was strapped to a wire. He might not have just figured out why yet. And even if you were strapped to a wire and there was a big film crew filming you, you would still get scared if somebody went to shoot you, I guess. Yeah, but the film crew, I I don't think he, well, we didn't see as an audience. Right, because we were looking pretty much from the perspective of the camera, but I think he would see the camera filming him. But again, just because he didn't mention it doesn't mean he didn't see it and know he was on a movie set. Well, I don't know. I would think that leaping into someone else's body is one, disorienting, and two, it's dark and smoky. and... And this chick was trying to, can I say dry hump him on the dance floor? (laughs) That was the 70s, man. That was kind of awkward. Actually, that's probably still now on the dance floor. (laughs) Maybe. I I haven't gone to a discotheque in a while. All the women in this episode seemed really... um, I think they were all in touch with their sexuality. And not afraid to express it. Right. But, you know, that was the era. Didn't it start with like Woodstock and all that stuff? Hey, that's from the 70s. Let's throw this in here. No, I, I have no idea. No, I have no idea. Is it? I don't know. I wouldn't make a good fact checker. But I mean, you know, people got more in touch with themselves and it, it was more like, like Sam said, a selfish era instead of, you know, trying to be proper. And I could definitely understand why Al liked the 70s if women were just coming up to you all the time and hitting on you. Yeah. But I mean, if if you think about it, it was kind of like a a renaissance in a way you know it was like breaking out of now don't get me wrong i have no idea how it really was in the 50s and 60s because i was not alive but if you look back at like the movies in the 50s and 60s it was very you know behind closed doors children were to behave a certain way women were to behave a certain way and then you get the the women's rights movements and you know everybody is starting to say you know what this isn't really fair and we all need equal rights and we all, you know, and so everybody's starting to speak up for themselves. And it, it was a whole movement that led up to the 70s where everybody was like, this is all about me. Yeah. And there was the sexual revolution where free love and all that stuff. Lots of orgies. Yes. A lot of sex. <laughs> uh, for All I know from the 70s is what I saw in 70s adult films and the Brady Bunch. That's a weird combination. <laughs> But not together. <laughs> no, I'm sure there is. If you probably Googled it, I'm sure there's an adult version of the Brady Bunch. Um, I only remember the episode. Well, I mean, I've seen most of them, but I mean, I remember the episode where. Sorry, I was writing that down. What do you say? I remember. I remember the episode where Marsha gets hit in the face with a football. That was in the it's movie. Like, so, OK, that's probably why I probably have seen <laughs> that one more than once. But that's as much as I know is what I saw on TV shows back then. I like the part where Tracy was hitting on Chad and she was like, every bone. Did you see Chris's face too? He was like, whoa. (laughs) Um, And Chad, Sam, keeps bumping into people the whole episode that he slept with. And he doesn't remember them, of course, because he's Sam, not Chad. And they're all like, really? You don't remember me? Really? You knew my name last night. Yeah. They were all pretty angry about it. He was very friendly with the ladies. Yeah, you could definitely say that. But it's funny when Sam leaps into someone whose personality is completely opposite of his. I mean, here's a stuntman who is a ladies man and isn't sticking up for his brother, obviously. I mean, you know, Sam comes in with his morals and you know, good personality and sticks up for his brother and sets his brother up for a music career and makes sure his brother doesn't die. You know, like... Sam came in and saved the day, like always. But it's funny when he is in a completely different personality type. 
uh, Sam had a lot of confidence in this episode. Do you think that was from Chad or you think that was from Sam? I think it was from Sam and his brother's relationship that he had a lot of knowledge on sibling relationships because of how his brother led him in the right direction. But in the past, you know, there's always a little bit of the leapy personality left behind, right? Right. So maybe uh, both of them are confident and together they were like very confident. They were like the confident superhero. <laughs> but it seemed to work out for the episode. He, uh, like you said, there wasn't really any issue or heavy thing in this episode. I might disagree with you a little bit. I think that the whole dad being a jerk to his kids and just being a jerk in general is maybe verbal abuse or is not physical abuse as much, but like maybe situational abuse. Is that a thing? Um. Well, you had the perfect parents. I mean, seriously. But that situation is still common today with parents and their children where your parents have a certain expectation of, you know, who they want you to be and who you want to be. And you have to separate and and do what you want to do. But it's very hard, especially when you're constantly seeking approval from your parents. I'm even reading like a book about that right now, about, you know, seeking your parents approval and how messed up that makes you in the head. It is a problem, but it's still a common problem today. More common than you'd think. Yeah, you see it a lot, like especially this whole part of like, I'm trying to make a man out of him. So I'm being a jerk to him and uh, treating him horribly. So he mans up. And as as a parent, I don't understand that because I would just want to love my child no matter what. Well, and, there's a lot of people who don't even let their sons play with dolls because yes. they think that they'll grow up and what become a dad. I mean, like what there, there's a, <laughs> there's literally an Internet meme going around that says, you know, it has like a little cartoon and it says, I'm not going to let my son play with dolls. And the per- the other person was like, why? Because he might grow up and become a dad. I mean, like what what's the, the logic there? I don't understand it. It's that whole tough guy mentality, you know, football, beer, farting, war. I don't know. I don't understand it. Well, I mean, and and not necessarily all of those things go hand in hand because you can like football and not be like that. But or or, you know, one of those. I mean, you do have the picture of the manly man with the football and the farting and the crude jokes and the hitting each other and wrestling and, you know, like there's the picture of the manly man and they're often kind of big jerks. But I think that we're starting to, as a society, come away from that. I would hope so, because, I mean, you want your children to grow up in a loving environment, I'm thinking. But I think that stereotypes with men and women are are very horrible, and especially with, like, kids' toys. Like, girls can't play with cars, and boys can't play with dolls, and things like that. I, I don't think you have to be a certain gender to play with a certain toy or have a certain job or... I hate that... I don't use that word a lot, but it's true. I hate when McDonald's does this for Happy Meal toys. Yeah. Oh, you have a girl, so you don't want the Batman toy. Well, even before that, I mean, when I would go and get Happy Meals, because I wanted, let's say, to collect every figure from Wizard of Oz, right? And they're like, for a girl or a boy? I was like, Wizard of Oz. So for a girl? I was like, Wizard of Oz. How is Wizard of Oz a girl toy? I have no idea. I watched the movie every year growing up. I still do. I don't think Wizard of Oz is a girly movie. <laughs> no, but it's like they're conditioned to say boy or girl. They can't say uh, Smurfs. 
How is a Smurf a girl toy or a boy toy? I guess because boys are like strictly Power Rangers, Batman, Cars. Like it's so it's so stereotype or stereotypical. It's very weird. Uh, we should need to start a movement. Yeah. See, I'm I'm all for my daughter having Batman. I mean, she has Batman toys and princesses and cars. Stuff. I mean, she has every kind of, you know, there's no gender for toys. Like to be a man, even his father admitted that he became a stuntman to prove to his father. So it's just this chain of proving yourself to be a man, you have to throw yourself off buildings. Right. Something in Ray's life, the father, made him do something he didn't want to do, and he's doing what he doesn't want to do, and he's trying to do the same thing to his son and make him do what he doesn't want to do. It just doesn't make sense to me, and I don't think I'll ever understand why a dad would bully his son. Again, I'm, I'm reading a book about that right now, and people who get beaten as children often grow up to beat their children because they don't no, like they're still angry because they got beaten, but it's separate and they don't realize they're doing it and they're becoming their parents. Like we all have this fear of becoming our parents. You probably don't. Except me. <laughs> because you had perfect parents. I really did. I, I know. Mean, everybody I've known has always been mad at me about it. And I'm like, what? They're just great people. Dude, I love your parents. It's it's totally fine. But you know, when you see like a somebody say, oh my gosh, I just sounded like my mother. And then you dread it, you know, like you, you dread when you you sound like your mom and everybody does it or your dad or, you know, gen, whatever parent you identify yourself with. But um, it happens. And I think that you grow up thinking that that's the norm. Like Ray grew up thinking that he had to grow up and become a stuntman because that's what his dad wanted. Well, then his kids are going to grow up and become stuntman because that's what he wants. Because even though it's some twisted thing that you know, it's psychologically wrong, but what are you going to do? And Chris wants to prove himself to his father also, which is part of being bullied, I guess, by your parent, because I know as a child, I could have done anything and my parents would have been proud of me, you know? Right. But see, there it swings both ways because Chad probably has it hard also because everything he does is right. So if he were to ever do anything wrong, he would probably not be able to handle it because he didn't want to disappoint his dad either. When you have a situation like that where one child does everything wrong and one child does everything right, they're equally in the same abusive relationship and they're both damaged psychologically because if the the one who does everything right all the time has so much on his shoulders and is so pressured to continue to do everything right, that all of his decisions are still based on what his dad would want. So it still goes both ways. So we didn't really get to see Chad having issues because Sam was Chad. He did have an issue with the mood ring. <laughs> he couldn't get it off the finger. I think that was a good um, little plot device for him to actually have to wear it the whole time because he might not have worn it if it wasn't stuck on there. See, I used to get mine from the like gumball machine and they were not, you know, they were like slit in the back. So Does the color actually change with those? Yeah, I don't really know what the science is behind that. Body temperature, maybe? I would think temperature. Maybe that's why we don't have them around here, because it's always really hot and they wouldn't change. <laughs> they could just sell you're in us. This, you're in black all the time. The yeah. mood ring is black because you're hot. It's, it's either an onyx angry. ring or a mood ring in the south. Yeah, I don't remember. I remember it changed colors, and I remember like all my friends had one and it was the thing to do, but I don't remember if it actually <laughs> was legit. 
I just remembered uh, Kelly Williams was in this episode. It was nice to see her, a famous face, younger, back then, long time ago. Loved her on Lie to Me. She's done a lot of television, but uh, when people show up like that, it's really nice to see. And she was a good actress. I can see why she's went on to do a lot of things. I mean, I really believed her character a lot. You should watch Lie to Me because, well, she was not the main character, but the second main character. The, uh, she was in almost every episode, according to IMDb. So Yeah, well, like the show is about this guy who can tell if someone's lying or telling the truth or what they're feeling or whatever. Kind of like a Sherlock Holmes meets psych mentalist kind of, you know, like he's just really observant and he trains people on how to tell if someone's lying doesn't their- sean spencer say that the mentalist ripped him off yeah <laughs> yeah but i mean it's not like that because it, you know but he, he can tell by faces you know they can watch a video and tell if someone's telling the truth or not but she's like his secretary like his assistant well just to see kelly williams i think i'll check that out i'm putting that down on the same list as the adult brady bunch movie <laughs> Well, I highly suggest anybody who wants to see Lie to Me. I want to say it's on Netflix, but I'm not positive. It's not on anymore, unfortunately. The only thing I didn't buy about her character too much is she like integrated herself into the family almost instantly. So it was kind of like a convenient plot point. But her character in general, I really liked. And she seemed very smart and confident. And I like that in a woman. You don't remember when you were a kid and like, not even a kid, but like a when you met someone and you really liked them, you wanted to spend all your time with them. It happened once or twice. Exactly. It's the same thing. Okay. And he's old enough that they're not going to be like, you can't hang out with this girl. Not that his dad would probably care. Uh, it's funny. Uh, they were talking about politics and Sam, you know, was interested in stuff like that, history and politics and was talking to Shannon. Because and... he knows all the answers. Cheater. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Sam was inadvertently hitting on Shannon and Chad was a little upset. Yeah, well, I, I don't think he was hitting on her. Like in the recap, it says bonding. I think that's a really good word because he was just literally interested in what she thought about it without, you know, a physical attraction there. But, but from Chad's perspective, right. you know, his brother's doing what his brother's always doing. Right. Knowing Chad's history, he was like, back off. What are you doing? <laughs> um, The part where Al's dancing on the patio. We already talked about what he's wearing. Love it. Um, but he mentions stuff about like the Starbright project. So more about that. And he had already gone to the moon and back or gone to space. He didn't say the moon. He said space. Space. Okay. The space program was behind him or space was behind him. So by the 70s, because I guess what in the 1960s was the huge space race, right? I don't know. Let's just throw it in the 70s. <laughs> no, but I mean, he was an astronaut, so right. you have to plot it in the timeline somewhere. Right. So we're finding more about Al, of course, and uh, he carried a man bag. That I would not do. I don't. Yeah, I don't. And this is also, uh, for me, a good part of the episode, the scene where Sam is asking about how did he die? And as viewers, I assumed, and I think we're supposed to assume, that Sam realizes his brother Tom had died, and he was asking Al, how did Tom die? But he said, how did he die? And then when... Al said, who? And then Sam replies, Chris. Then we know that Sam doesn't know yet, even though by... We pretty much know. Yeah. I, the by act, Al's face. <laughs> the acting by Dean Stockwell in this episode, amazing. Gave me chills every time I watched the episode. All to do with the death of Sam's brother, Tom. I know. It's such a sad moment when, when Sam realizes that Tom passed away. It's so sad. And Al's face is just... You know, Dean Stockwell did so well, but it's such a sad moment. And and Al was hoping that Sam wouldn't remember that because I'm sure Al didn't want to break the news to him either. And there's so many 
times in this episode where there's no lines from Al, but you can totally understand what he's saying and, and thinking. Yeah, it's very sad. Very sad that he lost his brother to Vietnam. Yeah, a lot of people, I'm assuming, lost in Vietnam. Yeah. I was imagining the scene from Running Against Time where the little brother's running after the, like, the bus and his brother's going off to war. It was a big major thing for this country. I mean, I only know this from time travel movies as well. But Kennedy and um, Vietnam seemed to go hand in hand with some time travel movies because those were the big things back then. I think that would be kind of like in our future. I wonder if they're going to do time travel movies for 9-11. Like what? Yeah. I mean, what would what would you think the next event would be that they would do time travel plots on? I would say 9-11. To see if they would save all those people. Right, but then you couldn't because something else would happen, so you'd have to go back and change it again or something. Right. There's time travel movies about the Hindenburg, about, you know, Kennedy. These big things, Hitler's a big time travel thing. Right. So anything really big or devastating that happened is good time travel material. Speaking of Tom, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there is a lot of Toms so far in Quantum Leap. First episode is Tom. Tom Stratton. Right. Sam leaps into Tom Stratton. His brother's named Tom. The cop was Tom. Tom McBride, the cop mm-hmm. from Honeymoon Express. I mean, Tom, 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 Tom. What? Do we know why? Is there like a reason? <laughs> I really don't know why, but most of the Toms seem to come from the episodes that Don P. Belisario wrote. So it might be something to look into. You think somebody was like, really, Tom, again, you're going to put Tom in the episode. You know, there's a not like Adam or Jake or... He's so, like John. So that's something to look for in upcoming episodes. Another Tom. Tom, yeah. So Hey, it's Tom again. For me, this episode wasn't so much about Chad and Chris as much about Sam and his brother Tom and that whole story arc and finding out more about Sam. Yeah, I mean, we don't really know much about Sam's family life. I mean, we know about the farm and his sister and a little bit about his dad, but... It's nice to learn more about him as he learns about him, too, because of his Swiss cheese brain. But it, it's nice to learn more about Sam and Al because, I mean, if you think about it, by this time, season two, you would know most about your main characters. I mean, we know who they are, but we don't really know much about them. I'm hoping the show goes like at least five seasons. <laughs> I hope it doesn't get canceled this season. Anytime we find out more about Sam's life, it's really nice. And uh, the emotional parts, again, between Al and Sam are what this show is about for me. Because even now, watching these episodes, I get emotional. It might be because I'm so into Scott Bakula as an actor, but when he gets emotional, I get emotional. So it's real for me when I'm watching it at that moment. I think that we've mentioned before with their chemistry with them on the train and they thought it was the last time they were going to see each other. You know, they have such good acting chemistry. They have such a good bromance going on that it is very emotional and they do feed off of each other majorly in the scenes. And it's great. They they work great together. Going back to the episode, Chris wants to prove himself to his father and get his stuntman's card. So he says he's going to do the stunt anyway. Calls the director at home. And this director, he plays really a jerk director. So I wonder how the director of this episode felt directing a director to be a jerk. (laughs) Yeah, you know, but you, you don't start out as a director. So I'm sure once you are a director, I'm sure you've worked with those kind of people before. Just like you don't, you you always have that one manager, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like there's always like that one person that you work with. So I'm sure they got that character from somewhere or a few somewheres. 
Right. They might have had a director on the set that wasn't quite nice and they figured, hey, we can use this. Yeah. Hey, we're going to write this script after you. So what do you think of the whole fire part of the end of the episode where Sam has to save Chris? The optical effects with Al walking through the flames and the beams was awesome. Like that for especially for back then, it looked really cool. The flames, not as much as the beams, but it still was really cool. Yeah. Optical effects back then were much harder than CGI effects of today where they actually had to do physical things with film. Like maybe it almost looked like they were cutting out the fire on like the fire would be on one roll of film and Al would be on another and they would cut parts out while he walked through frame by frame physically. Wow, I didn't know they had to do it like that. Yeah, there's uh it was a lot harder to do stuff back then, but by season two, this episode, they're really doing a great job with the effects. Oh yeah. And even like the picture when they were holding the picture and Sam goes to grab it. It's the same thing. Yeah, very good. That's why rewatching the series uh, at the beginning when the effects weren't so good, I was like, I don't remember them being this bad. But you never remember them being bad. You just remember the experience. Right, but they're really good at this point. So yeah. that makes makes it a lot better. <laughs> Funny parts too, uh, like when uh, Al's trying to direct Sam in the flames and Al's trying to light a cigar, but he can't get it lit in the middle of all the fire. Yeah, that's funny. And not that he could, it was inappropriate that he was lighting a cigar, but he's not really there, so it wasn't, but yeah, it was a little funny. Right. I, almost like they added that in on the day or something, not sure, but it was yeah. it was funny. Or it was a Dean Stockwell thing. Right. Do you notice that no matter what, if there is somebody trapped in a fire, they're always under a beam? Always. Their one leg or both legs are stuck under a beam. It is definitely a writing necessity, I think, because it happens all the time. It happened uh, on Castle a few days ago. Yeah. And then when we rewatched this episode after seeing Castle, I'm like, every single time. <laughs> well, I guess if you're like, well, you can walk out of the fire yourself, then I don't need to save you. I'm guessing. I know. It's one of those things like now that we have cell phones, like something has to happen to the cell phone for the person to get stranded. Right. Now that there's solutions to problems, they have to figure out a problem with the solution before the problem presents itself. Right. Uh, like if you're in a fire, you either have to be trapped under something heavy or heavily drugged, like in Sherlock. Right. Well, yeah. I just can't remember seeing a, a TV episode or movie where somebody wasn't trapped under a beam in a fire. Well, in this story, if he wasn't trapped under a beam, then he wouldn't have died originally. So Sam wouldn't have been there to save him. Yeah, I know. But I, and, and it always makes sense. I mean, and it makes sense to put the beam there because then they could run out of the fire themselves. They did really good with the fire in this episode, too. I mean, just fire in general. Uh, they have everywhere. A, they have a fire bar that goes in between the camera and the actor. Sam Chad and his father are in front of the fire, but there's fire in front of them. So there's a camera, there's a bar of fire, and then there's fire behind them. And that looked great. So they did really good with that. Yeah. That whole scene was pretty good. I'm glad that everything worked out. And I like that the dad punched the director in the face. Yeah. I mean, I'm not one for violence, but the director put his son in a very dangerous situation where he could have died and did die in another timeline. Yeah. Well, he didn't want to do rehearsal and he he was just not up on safety procedures, which is why the dad took them out originally. I'm sure people that watch the show that are in the practical effects, special effects, stunt industry are seeing all kinds of problems with everything going on there like you wouldn't it wouldn't happen like that it's an all-day thing and five people have to check it but of course it's a low-budget film and the director's skipping all that stuff so right that's why he got punched mm -hmm. and 
the the end little scene where they're all watching tv is such a cute little family scene i like that part i like that did you like the shirt sam was wearing look like um houses on a mountain upside down it was weird it was weird it almost reminded me of the little um nintendo like mario mountain you know like the little green mountains in the background a little bit (laughs) they're just not they weren't as round but it was really weird and we find out when uh Sam's remembering about his past and asking little things of Al that uh, he, in fact, did not have a dog. That's another fact we learned. And uh, it was really nice to have Al show Sam a picture of him and his brother. And so we finally got to see his brother, what he looks like. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. Maybe he'll be able to save his brother. That would be good. I don't know what's going to happen, but. I think since he's had like his dad dying, his brother dying, that might have been motivations for him to want to travel in time. I'm not sure the actual motivation, but I'm sure things like that would motivate you to maybe think about changing the timeline. You know, his sister was had domestic violence issues. His brother died. His dad died. I mean, he's definitely there to save something. And he already saved his future ex-fiance. He saved her already. So he... Going into this time traveling had a lot of bad things around him, which makes for good drama, by the way. But uh, uh, let's hope he fixes everything and everything's a happy ending with everybody. Who knows? Here's to hoping for happy, <laughs> happily ever after. I know. I'm thinking as a series, he's got to get at least one thing fixed, right? So hopefully something. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that it's a happy ending. Well, they, did they get canceled abruptly or did they have time to, to end it well? We'll see when we get there. <sighs> got like four more seasons to watch. President Ford, did he really trip that much? Yes. that's really? why, That's why they made fun of him on Saturday Night Live. So I guess that's maybe why they use those clips that weren't right just to bring up that whole topic and people remember. Yeah, because I don't know anything about him. The only thing I knew about President Ford was he built cars and he fell a lot. Is that the same person? Oh, wait. No, he fell a lot. That's okay. all I really knew. Is <laughs> I didn't even know that. And I, I don't remember seeing him fall ever. But until now, right on the episode of Quantum Leap. But that was cool. Poor guy. I'm really clumsy, so I would probably fall. You would think president of the United States uh, Secret Service might get out of there and put some like uh, non skid strips on the stairs or something if it's raining. I don't know. Or a guy walk behind him in front of him if he's fallen before. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe they were all just laughing. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, yeah, I fell again. I greased up that one step. Take another shot. Maybe they didn't like him. Maybe they were just messing with him. Secret Service. <laughs> you know? That would be horrible. Spray some Pam on the Something, stairs. Something, <laughs> yeah. Vaseline. Like that uh, YouTube video when they butter the kitchen floor. <laughs> That's messed up. <laughs> that is pretty bad. Um, overall, you like the episode? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, it wasn't my favorite, but what I saw in this episode that I really liked, again, the Sam Tom storyline and the acting and also Kelly Williams and that song that stuck in my head out of time. <laughs> I mean, I'd have to say a good episode overall, yeah. you know, and as we're sitting here talking about it, you know, I'm happy and i like i liked discussing it so yeah going into it i was like a oh, stuntman episode it's almost like oh they go to the rodeo this episode <laughs> <laughs> but i i enjoyed it and i would watch it again i would not skip it if i go through quantum leap one more time so i liked it you liked it right all right we have some feedback when i asked on facebook what is your favorite part of disco inferno sarah Catherine guest answered that suit he rocked it i believe he did Eli Del Toro said, When he guesses right about Ford falling on the stairs. That was pretty cool. That's my only memory of President Ford falling on stairs. 
Yeah, poor guy. Yeah. Non-skid souls, maybe. Maybe that's not required at that job, being president. Maybe not. Do they make non-skid fancy shoes? I'm sure they do. Rich Ladwig said, Seeing Sam doing stunts for Earthquake with Lauren Green. That was pretty cool. Uh-huh. And Hayden McQueenie said, Actually watching Ford fall down the stairs. So he enjoyed the actual uh, watching him fall. <laughs> Physical comedy. Schadenfeuer. When one gets pleasure out of someone else's pain. Oh, yeah. And BJ Murdoch said, Glenn Gelberti. Who's that? Former WCW, WWE wrestler, Glenn Gelberti. He played the part of Disco Inferno. Oh, okay. So that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that was actually his character's name, Disco Inferno. And he would come to the ring like on in disco music and have all those polyester suits and the gold chains and everything. Hmm. It's pretty cool. I liked him. So thank you for all those Facebook responses to the questions. And uh, now we're getting into some other communications we got from our listeners. This one's from Hayden McQueenie. Hi, Albie and Heather. Or has Sam changed the timeline and it's now Albie and Kevin? I really enjoyed your podcast on Honeymoon Express and especially enjoyed your analysis of Al's altercation with the committee. I also fully agree that they should show more of Al's side of the project and the project itself. There is something that always stuck out to me with the committee in this episode, which I don't think either of you picked up on, which I think deserves discussing. That is a personal investment of the committee members, in particular the chairman. I don't know if the chairman's character in Honeymoon Express is credited under this name, but it's a pretty well-accepted theory among the fandom that the chairman seen in Honeymoon Express is Weitzman. We have to remember that in Starcrossed, Al refused to give Sam information about Donna, Alicia, and her father, and when Sam tried to rescind his own rules, Al said it couldn't be done without committee approval, and that Weitzman, who I think we can assume is the chairman, would never pass it. Al was actually fired from the project when he passed on the information in code, using hieroglyphics and yelling out the father's name as he was being dragged off. And he was only reinstated after blackmailing Weitzman after Al had instructed Tina to successfully seduce him. I think that this would really have left Weitzman scathing and livid and want to get revenge on Al. That combined with the constant fear of his affair being exposed, I think it makes perfect sense that Weitzman would be campaigning to the committee to have the project shut down. He constantly mocked Al, saying that nothing will change over the weekend, and that Sam is not alone, he has God. When it appeared that the committee was going to shut down the project, Weitzman actually appeared happy, and also appeared to be taking pleasure in seeing Al lose his job, for example, telling Al to take his medicine. I personally see the project as being doomed from the start with Weitzman's influence over the committee, as he knows very well that there is no way that anything would really change, at least to their knowledge. See the discussions from the last podcast. This also leads to the idea that God, or time, or fate, or whatever, GTFW, is really out there looking after Sam. What force is leaping Sam around is a topic that is still up for debate, but we can agree that something external puts him in the situation that needs to be changed. And since it put him in a position to be able to change the committee, it really makes me believe that GTFW will not put Sam in a situation that he cannot handle, and that GTFW will not allow anything to stop Sam from fulfilling his life's work. Diane McBride, as the new chairman, says some very poignant words along the lines of even though there is no concrete evidence that Dr. Beckett has traveled in time or has changed history, we feel that such attempts are needed to help the human cause and that the important thing is that we try. I feel that this should be the basis for all scientific research. Trying is the first step to success, and governments in particular should be providing as much money as they can to universities and researchers to allow this. But we also have to remember that Diane McBride's statement relies a great deal on faith. I personally believe she subconsciously knows that Sam has helped her. She even remembers meeting a Sam Beckett after all, and so feels indebted to him. And so as long as she is on the board, I feel the project is safe. 
I'd also like to attempt to answer a question that Heather asked me when she read out my last post. The question was, I wonder why Hayden was referring to Ziggy as a female. This was absent-mindedness on my part, as I had forgotten the issue of Ziggy's gender. This answer will contain the smallest of spoilers, but nothing to ruin any surprises or your experience of watching the show for the first time. It's just to answer the question. I will also be referring to Ziggy as a female throughout my response, just so I can be consistent and avoid saying it over the course of the series. The gender of Ziggy will be both male and female interchangeably, leaving a great deal of ambiguity on the subject. According to Genesis, Ziggy is a parallel hybrid computer infused with an ego, and it was the incorporation of that ego which was a major breakthrough in artificial intelligence. Deborah M. Pratt, co-executive producer and head writer of Quantum Leap, was asked at the Leap Back convention in 2009 for a definitive answer about Ziggy's gender, and she stated that Ziggy is a computer, a machine. Machines don't have genders. Ziggy can be programmed to have whatever ego and whatever voice you like. There are a few reasons why I refer to Ziggy as a female. First of all, as the series progresses, they seem to settle upon calling Ziggy a her. Ziggy's voice is female. In fact, she's voiced by Deborah Pratt. This shouldn't be a surprise as it's Ziggy who narrates the opening to your podcast. And at one stage, Sam will lament giving Ziggy the ego of Barbara Streisand. I would guess the bigger the ego, the more powerful its effect. Ziggy was a prototype after all, and its effects would need to be easily seen. So female voice, female ego, it makes sense to refer to Ziggy as a female, but there's no reason why she couldn't be programmed with a different voice or a different ego, thus changing her apparent gender. There's also another reason why I refer to Ziggy in the female. Ziggy is what runs the entire project and as such deserves a great deal of respect. The same sort of respect that is shown towards a country. People often refer to countries in the female, for example, the motherland and her colonies. This sort of respect comes from the respect that women deserve in general, as they generally end up leading families. Ziggy is the head of the Quantum Leap family, at least as far as power goes, and so she could be seen as the matriarch. I hope that answered your question. Looking forward to your next podcast, and I'm especially looking forward to the podcast on what price Gloria. Oh, the discussions we will have. Ha ha ha. (laughs) Thank you for that great feedback, Hayden. That probably could have been Weitzman. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Other than I thought he was tall, thin, and stovepipe hat had a Abraham Lincoln fetish. So if it's not Weitzman, I guess that's kind of a continuity. Right. It could be him. He could have just got heavier or he could just think he's thin and tall because he wears a (laughs) stovepipe hat. I don't know. I I really didn't pick up on that. And I'm surprised that the committee has been mentioned before, but this is the first time we've seen them. Yeah, I was surprised that neither of us had picked up on that. But thanks, Hayden. The chairman definitely had it out for the Quantum Leap Project. Oh, yeah. And Al in particular, I think. GTFW, I like that abbreviation. Yeah. And uh, that makes sense about Ziggy being a female in the computer. I, you definitely uh, explained that for me. But I'm I'm looking forward to watching the show version of the explanation. But thank you for enlightening me on the subject. And Juan Murrow would like us to remind you that if you haven't filled out the survey for LeapCon 2014, you should. You go to quantumleap-alsplace.com and there's more information on the survey and you can take it and uh, let the people creating the Quantum Leap convention in 2014 know if it's a good idea and what kind of guests you'd like to see there. Can you imagine how awesome that would be? Yeah. If it actually goes through, I plan on going. Uh, Duh. (laughs) We (laughs) would have to go. It would be great to see everybody there, all the listeners and all the actors and writers and producers. It would be awesome. Yeah, Juan also thinks we should do a live podcast there if if it happens. I don't see a problem with that. Not at all. And from Danielle Gastineau, she says, The podcast is great. And she's referring to Honeymoon Express. 
She really loved it. And thank you very much, Danielle. She's a longtime listener of ours, and uh, I trust her opinion. So I'm glad she liked it. I, I'm glad that she got what we were trying to do in that episode. We were on a train, and there was uh, some LFX due to time travel. And, uh, <laughs> it was a fun one to do. It was fun, yeah. I'd go on a train again. Hopefully there's another episode on a train. We'll see. Hopefully we don't have an episode on an airplane or a space shuttle because that might be hard to arrange. I was just going to say that. Maybe a boat. I'm on a boat, yo. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next one's from uh, Len Lindsay. Could you read that, Heather? Hi there. We are longtime Quantum Leap fans. Recorded them off TV, cut out commercials, and burned them to DVD back in the day. So it was interesting to discover your podcast by accident while hunting for Claudia Christian books. Listen to episode eight, play it again, Seymour, and liked how you do the show very much. Looked at your website and your list of available episodes jumps from episode nine to episode 39. And your Facebook page seems to indicate that episode nine was December 12th and episode 39 was December 23rd. So I'm curious if you really did episodes 10 through 38 all in less than two weeks, or did you just skip ahead to a show you liked slash wanted to do? Best regards, Len. Well, first of all, he found our site through looking for Claudia Christian books, which is awesome, which means uh, search tags work. I wonder if he'll go back and listen to our other episodes. I hope so. Yes, uh, we did do the 30 episodes in between, but unfortunately, they all got lost. (laughs) No, we were... uh, uh, Hayden, in fact, suggested we do a Christmas episode for the holiday season, and we couldn't figure a reason why not, so we just went ahead and skipped ahead to a Christmas episode. And that was our little holiday gift to the listeners before going on our holiday break. So as you're listening to this, this is episode 10 and uh, 29 more to follow until we get to that episode. <laughs> yeah. But that way, if it falls not on Christmas, it, it would be a little weird to do a Christmas episode in the middle of July or something. So I also was a type of person to record them off of television. It's cool that uh, he put them on DVD before they were on DVD, but uh, hoping they come out on 4K, 8K one day. Oh my goodness. I'll have to rewatch them in every digital format. In every integer of K that comes out. (laughs) Have you seen the 4K TVs, though? It is ridiculously amazing. I saw a Sony 65-inch 4K television, ultra-high definition, and it made me feel like I was moving, like the floor was moving. That's awesome. They're really, really cool. Worth the money. I'd like to take this time to thank everyone who has been downloading the Quantum Leap podcast on iTunes. At one point, we got in the top 100 of TV and film. That's awesome. Yeah. There's so many podcasts out there. So many really good podcasts are always in the top 100. And um, I never expected for our little show about a TV show that aired 25 years ago to get in the top 100 on iTunes. So thank you very much. We have an essay contest winner. Our third contest winner in this contest. There's eight available winners. Three have qualified. So there are five spots left. So get those essays in. Our third winner is Nikki Johnson. And this essay is What Quantum Leap Means to Me by Nikki Johnson, read by Heather Birch. My entire life, I've enjoyed exploring the history of our nation through travel, books, and TV shows, but nothing ever got me more hooked than Quantum Leap. I love to sit and watch the entire five seasons with my dad and learn about all the interesting things that happened in different ages of Sam's life. Even if it didn't show a groundbreaking event, the episode did take me back to an age when life was different, from their everyday life to clothes to the way they handled situations and people. Sam had to relive these things too and be prepared to act in the way of the time, even if it personally killed him, such as when he had to be a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Then Al would always come in with the comic relief and the best outfits any character could wear. Quantum Leap to me meant our nation's history and basically my history since I grew up watching the episodes with my dad. 
The show told me how things used to be before I was even born and how all people, no matter what time period, could have the same problems. Thank you very much, Nikki. Great essay and uh, appreciate it very much. You have won a Quantum Leap comic book. And it should be on its way to your home now. Or by the time you listen to this, probably already in your hands. (laughs) And you qualified for a signed comic book art portfolio which is really nice. It's big. It's beautiful. And there's more details on our website and our Facebook page to find out more about it. Thank you to everyone who has entered and we love reading your essays. And there is still time to send us more essays. We love to read them. Did you ever listen or did you ever watch the show with your dad? Yes, I did. I think I made my parents watch the show with me. I was like, this is really awesome. You must watch it. Sit down and watch. (laughs) And they loved me, so they watched it with me. Uh, I'm going through the same thing right now with my little girl, Serenity. She makes me watch Mickey Mouse Clubhouse on my phone. She's like, no, you have to watch it. (laughs) No, this one's really good, Dad. You have to watch this episode. Right. It's not just I'm watching it, but you have to watch it with me. So that's what I did to my parents. So I guess that's what we do as children. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's always fun to find out what Quantum Leap means to people because it means different things to everybody. But everybody so far that's uh, told us what it means to them, it really means a lot. So, Well, I think that especially when you're younger and you watch a show, you remember what happened in your life also when you watched it. You know, like that part of your life, you were like, oh, but back then I was watching Quantum Leap and how it related to your everyday life. The stimulus almost brings back a sense of memory, like a certain smell, maybe. Yeah, maybe. A certain TV show. There are many ways to get a hold of the Quantum Leap podcast and let us know what you think, and then we will communicate that to our other listeners. To leave us feedback, you can go to quantumleappodcast.com or our Facebook page. Which is facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. Our Twitter is at quantumleappod. Or you could email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. We even have a voicemail line at 707-847-6682. We haven't had anybody call in yet. No, if you're thinking about doing it, now's the time. You'll definitely get on the show. We're talking to you, Hayden. You should call in and, and leave a voicemail. When we listen back, it's more exciting to hear other people on here, too, not just us. <laughs> And if there's anybody listening in Ireland that would like to leave us a voicemail, that would be awesome, too. We are totally calling you guys out. <laughs> we we want to hear from you. We also have um, a new Instagram account. It's Quantum Leap Podcast is the username. So if you want to follow us on Instagram, we usually post Quantum Leap Podcast related pictures and, you know, let you know when the new episode is up. So it's another way to follow us. And if you have something Quantum Leap on Instagram, tag us in it. We'd love to see it. Yeah, at Quantum Leap Podcast. Help spread the word. Or you can speak pipe us. <laughs> Nobody's done that yet. <laughs> I don't know if you need to take them out to dinner first or what. <laughs> uh, but there's a speak pipe on our page that you can, I think, click, right? And they can just leave a little voice memo. As long as you have a microphone hooked up to your computer. If you haven't followed us on Facebook or Twitter, now's the time. We're very exciting in our in our tweets about Quantum Leap. <laughs> What's that phone number again, Heather? 707-847-6682. 707-847-6682? Yep. All right. Heather, I understand you have some trivia. So in the episode, they're watching Saturday Night Live. Right. In which Bill Murray and Chevy Chase are shown. Not only is this the wrong day for SNL to be playing... April 1st was a Thursday that year. 
But also, Bill Murray and Chevy Chase never appeared together in SNL. Bill Murray didn't even join the cast of SNL until 1977. Wow. And this was 1976. Wow. Whoops. <laughs> Again, there was no internet back then. It was nice to see the Saturday Night Live clips, though, because I got a chuckle out of them, like, uh, name something that goes with eggs. And Dan Aykroyd was like, fiberglass. I just laughed out loud. I love the Coneheads. Yeah, they're awesome. It also says that that skit with the Coneheads, they didn't make their first appearance till 1977, January 15th, 1977. And that specific skit didn't air until January 21st, 1978. Ooh, that bites the big one. You would think that they would have gotten their information from SNL, right? Um, like, I think they probably asked them for clips since it's NBC and NBC, and, and they probably said, you can have these clips. And they were probably like, thank you. I wonder if they asked, though, like, hey, can we have some Chevy Chase or Bill Murray clips? Yeah. Because those are usually good ones, right? I mean, <laughs> The funny ones, yeah. Yeah. And again, the world before Google and internet, so there was no way to even find out if you really needed to know. There Unless, was no Wikipedia, no IMDb. No, back then, I mean, this is 89. If you needed to know how to make something for dinner and you weren't sure of the recipe, you had to call your aunt's cousin because that's who probably knew. Now you're just like, how do I make homemade macaroni and cheese? Yep. And it comes up in three yeah. seconds. Big difference. Different world. Um, in the scene where Sam does the little fall, quote unquote, little fall, it's not very little, but... Um, and he is hanging onto the beam in the stock shot from the movie Earthquake of the group of people who come running to try and rescue him. Al gets excited when he sees Lauren Green slash Ben Cartwright of Bonanza fame. But to his right and a step or so behind him is a young Regis Philbin who now retired had his own longstanding morning talk show Regis and Kelly, formerly Regis and Kathy Lee. Regis. Yeah, every time I saw this, I didn't see him in there. So I think I saw him, but... I, it was a stretch. Like, just because I read this. I definitely saw Lauren Green, and I was thinking, Battlestar Galactica, Lauren Green. But, of course, Al would think Ben Cartwright, because he was a little bit older. I, of course, don't know who that is. And Does that, that shock you? No. Probably not. <laughs> Lauren Green, original Battlestar. I, well, because you just said that, I realized. We, we have to watch it. That was not a little fall. There is no way any stuntman would do a fall from that height. No. Well, I mean, I don't know anything about stuntmen, but that I wouldn't jump. Not without being on a decelerator rig or something. Um, just from the point of view shot of Sam when he's looking down and saying, this is not a little fall, I would say that was, what, 20 stories easy. There's no way. You would reach terminal velocity, and no matter what bag you landed on, you would go splat. Maybe it just looked worse than it was? I don't Maybe. Know. Because at least, you know, they didn't have Google, but you would think people in the TV production business would at least know something about stuntmen. Right, but they would also know the viewers wouldn't know. Oh, you got a point there. Just like that thing with the soda can you were talking about. What? Oh, the diet Shasta can that had like really bad lettering stickers over the Shasta to say soda, but they didn't cover up where it said Shasta. Like the top of the H, the top of the A, the top of the T. <laughs> right. But again, small TVs back then didn't yeah. have high definition. So little things you find. I also think that they want you to know that it's a diet Shasta can, but they don't want Shasta to know. <laughs> maybe. And maybe it's something other than country music. Maybe Chris had a hobby of doing artwork over other things like soda cans. <laughs> it's not impossible. Uh-huh. Here's some fun facts. Disco Inferno is one of two episodes with the leap day of April 1st, April Fool's Day. The other episode is MIA, set on April 1st, 1969. 
Very good episode. Not a funny one. Sad. sad. Don't tell me things. Okay, no spoilers. No spoilers. In the beginning of the set scene where Chris gets injured, the gopher, tall guy with long sideburns and wearing a blue shirt, also had a role in the All-Americans episode in season two, episode 14. He is a football player who slams Sam on the shoulders, knocking him down while yelling, Roar, Jaguars! I know that guy. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That He was also in the scene with Chewie in the locker room scene. He said to Chewie, is Eddie still running laps? Chewie laughing. He may still be running laps, Minyana. So he was in two scenes in the episode 14, which is in this season, so I'll get to see it soon. This one is pretty nitpicky because I watched this one, what, three times? I watched this episode. Right. Or, Four for me. Yeah. And every time, and I and I knew about this, I think, the second two times I watched it. And you really have to be paying attention and checking every single detail to know this one. Because even though I knew, I really had to look for it because it doesn't seem... You really wouldn't know. But when Sam is checking himself out in the truck's left mirror, his reflection arranges his hair with his left hand, which means Sam would be arranging it with his right hand. Instead, on the next cut, we see Sam arranging his hair with his left hand. So that that's something that is definitely a little tiny detail that you'd have to really, really pay attention to to see. Right. Uh, it is nitpicky, but that's kind of fun just when you're watching it to see those things that weren't supposed to be. Oh yeah, no, I like I, I just mean that one you is so little, but it's cool. You know. And also I guess his lips didn't match his words when he said I'd rather be dead than be in the seventies. Right. I'm thinking overall, in general, we're seeing Sam, Scott Bakula. Nobody else is. So it's just a device for us to know it's him and to use the actor, Scott Bakula, of course, it'd be silly to have a different actor every week as Sam. So what we're seeing isn't really real. So I think it doesn't have to match anything. Do you think Al sees Sam or do you think Al sees... Al sees the leapy. Yeah. That's a definite fact. And we'll find out maybe in a couple episodes. Hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah, I guess he does. He has commented in the past about appear- about appearances. Oh, another little continuity thing that slipped in there. When they're watching Saturday Night Live, there's a picture of an FA-18 Hornet in the background, but the Hornet first flew in 1982, so that was a little premature. Oh, little things, but fun little things. And uh, it shows that how much people watch the shows over and over again and look at everything. And Yeah, like, we, we didn't come up with these. No, these are from our researcher, Ron, and of course, he compiled those from the internet in different places, so you got a lot of people collaborating to get these facts out there right they're fun to learn about though and especially if you read them and then rewatch the episode you're like wow how did i miss that right also there's i guess an eight track tape from the village people in the car and that's it's a year too soon uh yes because this takes place in 76 and village people was 77 mm-hmm. yeah that is a pretty big one when you're trying to clear the rights for the song maybe you would notice on the copyright date you would think but it wasn't meant to be rewatched for millennia like it is it's uh was meant to entertain people on a monday night or a wednesday night on a small screen tv exactly (laughs) with mono speaker right (laughs) covered in brown burlap fabric (laughs) on a tv made out of wood hey i had one of those when i was a kid i think we all did i played nintendo on it um as far as timing errors go there's one more earthquake the when they were doing that huge fall stunt 
The film Earthquake, or the scene from the film, was filmed in 1974. So this one they were a little late on, because <laughs> it's two years later than it was actually filmed. So Maybe they were going back in to film more scenes for the special edition. That, well, or they needed a, a repeat shot, or the stunt didn't work out right. I don't know. Yeah. A lot of timing errors in this episode. It seems to me like uh, they said, 70s, let's do some stuff from the 70s. As right. a general 70s. Like they had a guy and they said, find us all the stuff from the 70s. And he's like, this was in the 70s? Village people. Okay, right. sounds good. Put it in there. Maybe they have like a room for each decade. And it's like the 70s room, the 80s room. That like, would be awesome. You know, like a little corner for each decade so they can pull stuff out. And future room. <laughs> the future room. <laughs> I wonder if they go to like the year 1997 and it's totally wrong. That'd be funny. We'll have to see. I still go with my theory of like how back in the 80s and 90s, the future looked so bright. We were going to have flying cars and well, it was going to be awesome. You had to and wear then, shades. <laughs> and now it's like zombies and we're all going to die. It'll go back again. I think stuff like that fluctuates. It goes with uh, how people are feeling at the time and they have a negative view of the future or a positive view. I have a positive view of the future. So that's uh, some fun little uh, trivia notes. And uh, thank you, Juan, for uh, doing the research for us. Are you excited for next time? The Americanization of Machiko. Something about Popeye. Yeah. He's like, I'm Popeye. I have to say the sailor uniform is adorable. It makes me think of like the little boy on the postcard, like waving. Just like in my head, that's what the sailor uniform. Sam leaps to 1953 into Charlie McKenzie, a U.S. naval officer returning, and he has a Japanese wife. You got hooked by Naomi, and you have a miserable marriage. So Ziggy figures you're here to keep Charlie from tying the knot with the bottled brunette. Ziggy figures, uh, 97%. My name is Machiko McKenzie. I tried to find my husband. Of course, there's always that 3% margin of error. You just waltz in here with that Japanese bride and expect me to take her in? How could you do this to me? I wasn't thinking of it as doing something to you. That woman will never be part of my family. Do you hear me? Never. Sam, Mexico's been hurt. I think she might be dying. And I think this episode has to deal with uh, racism against Japanese Americans. That was a big deal, especially in the 1950s. Right. Less than 100 years ago, this country was actually putting people in concentration camps. Not very cool. Mm, no bueno. So we'll talk a lot more about that next time on the Quantum Leap Podcast. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thank you to Kevin Batchelder for letting me have my spot back on the Quantum Leap Podcast. That was very gracious of him. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Albie. And I'm Heather. Happy leaping. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. Go to quantumleappodcast.com to listen to new episodes. The Quantum Leap Podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal TV. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to get behind-the-scenes information, exclusive content, and to be notified first when a new episode is available. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Quantum Leap Podcast, Baron Space Productions, its partners or affiliates. The Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie, researched by Juan. The Quantum Leap Universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal TV. 
No infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Barron Space production. This week's episode? Ooh. This time's episode? Hmm. This episode. I, I didn't know that Sam was really in the military and all that stuff. Like, I didn't know he was an admiral, right? Is he an admiral? Al. Yeah. You said I said Sam. Sam. Oh, sorry. Going back. <laughs> Just in case you weren't aware. <laughs> um, is it bad that I now think pound cake is a bad word? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but his name is Michael. Matthew. Matthew. Carrier. Carrier. <laughs> Michael. His name is Matthew Carrier. <laughs> Michael. No, it's Matthew. Matthew. Okay. His name is Matthew Carrier. Grimsman. Grisman. Grimson. Grim. Grimmit. Grimace. Thank you, Derek. <laughs> we might have to drive back. Hmm. Doesn't matter because I'm not in this episode anymore. <laughs> hey, spoilers. When Al, Al, sa- <sighs> when Al says... When Al I took- says... <laughs> <laughs> we talked about the time. Time. We talked mm-hmm. about... Morris Day. Doris Day. Morris Day and the time. You know, different rights and how they change over the times. And uh, I guess... I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> I was totally thinking that you should put the credits from this episode or the bloopers in the next one. In the next one. I will. Okay. Start over because I have no idea what you said. I don't, like, I don't know where I was going with that. Help me out here. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, no, but uh, <clears throat> Sam and Diane. Is that right? That, uh, we're talking about Cheers, right? We're not talking about Cheers. No. Okay, so we'll say Tom and Diane. Oh, yeah. Um, Jack and Diane? Okay. But, uh, Roxanne. You don't have to put on the red light. <laughs> Sell your body to the night. <laughs> Roxanne. <laughs> I don't even know where that went. No idea. But she's on top of him, trying to seduce him, and, uh... <laughs> Ready? No, you're not. Drink some of that. I'm afraid. You drink it. <laughs> just drink it. It's got sugar in it. It expired three days ago, and it just hissed at me. No. It's not a magic number. They they add an extra week into it. Yeah, but, like, it's got hard crusty But it's got sugar in it. So... all right that probably didn't help did it (laughs) okay okay i was okay until you went to pause it (laughs) i started laughing (laughs) it doesn't hurt unless i touch it (laughs) that didn't sound good on mike why you love me though it's not conducive for recording but that's why you love me when diane's trying to seduce sam (laughs) (laughs) roxanne you don't have to put on the red light say your body to the night Roxanne!
I'm pausing it. Diane's on top of Sam. Really? <laughs> I can hear my headphones. Hyena over there. So Diane is on top of Sam. He's she's trying to seduce him. So Diane is on top of Sam. Nipple tape. Is to watch and celebrate as Sam is triumphant and helping put right what once went. <sighs> then that would be enough to prove that the person that the time. <sighs> Can you do the episode? Can you read the episode? React. It was cool to see the Saturday Night Live clips, though. <clears throat> it was nice to see the Saturday. Uh. In the beginning of the set scene where Chris gets injured, the golfer, tall guy with long salt. Gopher. That's what it says. I don't know why I said golfer. I made up a word. Or I added a letter. No, he was being on a movie set. No, he was being on. No, he was on a movie. No, he was on a movie set. No, you are on a movie set. You're on a movie set. <sighs> what I saw in this episode... unexpected but what i saw in this episode was unexpected what no my own was unexpected sorry (laughs) what is your favorite part of disco inferno sathrin man right away non-skids non-skids listening to episode eight play it again seymour and liked how you do this things that happened in different ages of stamp stamp Damn it, Stam. <laughs> I love to sit and watch the entire five seasons with my dad and learn about all the interesting things that happened in the different stages. You <laughs> 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 <laughs>